Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Anto Gutierrez, CEO of Patty and collaborator on many industry initiatives and thought leadership that we unpack as part of Anto's long background in our industry. Then we took a bit of a deeper dive at integration, specifically the challenges with it historically, how it's time for a new paradigm, and where the open source connection profiles initiative fits. And then finally, how Patty helps enable what we're all needing, which is interoperability. Without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Anto Udiarjo. Hello, Anto. Welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself? Hello, James. I am Anto Budiarjo. Uh, most people forget the Budiarjo part, just know me as Anto. I've been um, in the building space for over 30 years, and uh, I've tried to escape a couple of times, but I'm still here. <laughs> yep. Yep. And you've been, a, you've been a thought leader in the industry for... As long as I can remember. So first, thanks for that, for, for the leadership. I'm excited to have you on the show for, for, obvious, for that reason and for obvious reasons. Excited to be here. You're doing a great thing with your community, so really love it. So appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, can we start at the beginning? How'd you get into the industry and what were you doing when you decided, hey, I want to work in buildings? <laughs> okay, so this takes me back to London, which is uh, where I hail from. In the in the 80s, I was running a, a computer software and dealership company. Back then, you can actually sell computers, personal computers, and make interesting margin and, and living. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing software, uh, a lot of the work I was doing was around a thing called aperture cards, which are microfilm stuck inside a, an IBM 80-column punch card. So that's how they used to manage microfilms in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Unbeknownst to me, that was actually, it really is taught about metadata. It's metadata about the drawings on the the actual card itself. So unbeknown to me, I was doing metadata way before I understood what the word meant. Okay. So that was the 70s and 80s. And one day, sometime in the late 80s, a guy that I know, a a customer that bought some computers of me, pointed to this box that turned out to be an Andover AC256 or something and said, can you connect that to this other box, which is a trend controls IQ, something or other, I can't remember the model. And I looked at it, prodded around and prodded around the back and went away and uh, wrote some software and uh, made them talk. And that then led to the creation of the the very first integration platform that I built in 1990 that went to market in the UK called the CDC engine. So that was number one. Uh, And that's really what brought me into the the, the building space. And uh, integration has really been sort of connecting different systems together has really been my focus. Cool. So you built that first connection and then decided it was a commercial opportunity from there? Yeah, that, that's number one. And Paddy that we'll talk to um, uh, about later is actually number six. So there's been sort of others along the way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Keep on learning. And, and, and I, I just find the, the notion of lots of different systems in the building and being able to connect them to each other so that they can 
create some additional value. I just found that whole notion really, really interesting. And even back in the late 80s, 90s, the concept of um, doing that so that you can extract business value and connect it to enterprise information and other sort of retail information and other things was always there. All those, the, all those sort of things were being discussed. Obviously, the technology has changed a lot. So it's kind of interesting to see people wanting that. And after 30 years, I, I feel like we're starting to get there in terms of the ability of, of an industry to understand what needs to be done and to actually start doing it. So totally. 30 years, 30 quick years, and we're, we're almost there. <laughs> yeah. So CDC engine was number one. Patty, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about, is number six. What's mm -hmm. two, three, four, five? What, what, what happened in between? Um, number two was a project that we did with IBM in the UK to monitor AS400 mini computers in, in what they call dark sites, which are just in a room. And number three was something else that I did in, in, in Europe. And number four was a product called Unihub that then got acquired by CSI that being, then became TAC and they're now Schneider Electric. So that's the, that was the, the time that I came over and a couple of other projects uh, in between. I, I worked with Alper to help him on some of the sort of middleware stuff that he was doing. And that takes us all the way up to now with Patty. Awesome. Alper is Messler at B BASSG. Yeah. There's only one Alper. There is only one Alper. Everybody knows Alper. Just wanted to make sure that for anyone that doesn't know, we uh, call him out. Well, cool. All right. So. We'll talk about Patty here in a little bit. I think I'm wondering just like beyond we're almost there. Mm -hmm. Can you reflect back on all of the, these? These are all integration efforts, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That's kind of a common thread in your career is connecting devices. What was it like at the beginning? And then what's it like now, I guess? Well, just as the concept of middleware wasn't really uh, well understood. And it was middleware that we were building back then and back then it was all about using rs232 ports as a way to connect to endover and trend and other other systems and it's, uh, i was actually uh, i was listening to a, a podcast of yours um, talking about apis and sort of the problems we have with apis apis reminds me a lot um, of uh, rs232 back in the 80s and 90s because my business partner will talk to somebody and you know after about five minutes, the light bulb would come on and say, ah, yes, I have an RS-232, so you should be able to integrate it, right? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> well, no, it depends on, depends on the configuration and it depends on protocols and stuff like that. So APIs are, to me, the, the, the modern day equivalent of RS-232. Everybody has it and um, they're wonderful. Fundamentally, they're wonderful, but it doesn't in itself answer all the problems. So it's kind of interesting how that kind of... Um, thing sort of repeats itself over, over the years. That's moving higher up the stack. Same problems moving higher up. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So what are you up to today? I have this list of all the things from, I always creep on everybody's LinkedIn profile, but you're you're currently doing a lot of stuff. So there's Patty. We haven't talked about Monday Live yet. Can you, what's, mm -hmm. what's Monday Live for those that don't know and how that gets started? Okay, so Monday Live is, is, a, is a child of the pandemic, basically. <laughs> <laughs> when back in March um, 2020, when we started to go into lockdown, I, I remember um, standing in, the, in my uh, back porch as I was listening to the fact that Italy as a country was going into lockdown. I thought, 
this is crazy, right? How, you know, and this is going to come to the US at some point or some variations. And I, and I was kind of, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what to do with that information. Right? And so, mm -hmm. uh, what I decided to do was uh, start a Zoom call on on Wednesday evenings, happy hour time, with a whole bunch of people that I know. A lot of people that are now Monday Live. And so we we started this weekly chat on Wednesdays with, with a beer in hand and just trying to sort of um, help each other get through the understanding what the pandemic was all about. And you know, initially it was like, you know, how do I go shopping and all that kind of sort of more like life stuff. And then we started to think to, to um, use that sort of conversations to think about what smart buildings, the relevance of smart buildings in, in COVID era. Right, so, okay. and that kept on going on a, on, a, on a weekly basis. And after a couple of months of that, we kind of said, hmm, wouldn't it be interesting if we took this format as just us chatting and put it in front of the public? Right. Cool. So that's basically how Monday Life got started. A couple of weeks after that, we decided to do it on Mondays at three o'clock because it needed to have a regular cadence. And that was Monday Live. It started there. And we've been going ever since, every single week, other than some holidays and stuff. But basically, we're uh, that, that's our format. And uh, it sort of evolved. Initially, it was about having to deal with pandemic. Then we started um, to think about what is this industry going to look like after the pandemic? And uh, obviously, this year, it's sort of as we're... I think we're starting to get out of the pandemic. We're starting to think about what the reality is. And, you know, and we discuss all sorts of things, including like supply chain problems that's going on right now that a lot of the vendors are having. So it goes all, um, it goes in sort of many different directions, but that's really the, 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 the thesis of it, just having conversations about the industry. Really cool. And I, I've been a guest a few times. It's, it's yeah. fun to, uh, you get I get I got interviewed by like twelve people at once. <laughs> that, that was my experience. It was like, oh wow, these questions are coming from all over the place. So I, I think it's fun to get all those different perspectives each week. Yeah. It's really cool. And yeah. those are on YouTube. People can go back and watch yeah. those if you want. Yeah, every single one's on YouTube. MondayLive.org is uh, where you go. You can register for the live um, sessions, and there's a link to all of the YouTube videos. All right. Next next bullet point on your LinkedIn profile. Uh, Digital Twin Consortium. What's, uh, what's that all about, and what's your what's your role there? So, so I've been monitoring the concept of Digital Twin for for a while. I think a lot of us are kind of intrigued with the sort of the concept. Yep. Um, the Digital Twin Consortium got stood out, got started around about that time, the uh, spring of uh, twenty twenty. And so I saw an email or a post or something uh, about it, and it was soliciting membership, and I joined. Partly because during that time I was I was trying to sort of figure out what what to do with the the time and the locked in and I wasn't traveling and all that kind of stuff all that mm -hmm. was going through. So I joined and it's actually been quite an interesting journey with the Little Twin Consortium. It's a pretty pretty awesome group of people. It has big big sort of hitters like Microsoft and Autodesk and GE. Um, digital and Lendlease and and others. So there's a lot of sort of conversations about digital twins. And they, they actually break it down to, into different vertical working groups. So there's a, there's a working group on infrastructure, which is the one that attracted me most that talked about intra infrastructure and buildings. And then there are others to do with aerospace, for example, and manufacturing. But that, that's kind of, that was the start of that. As, as part of doing that, I kind of realized that Digital Twin in, in many ways is nothing but a giant integration problem. 
Yeah. Um, we're not talking about the, the systems in a building anymore. We're talking about all systems, whether it's smart cities or um, transportation or um, whatever. It's actually the same problem. You have all of these diff different systems that need to in inter interact with each other. Um, and that's round about the time that we were sort of working on the connection profile stuff. And Anna will come back to that. And so I decided that, that I wanted to inject that into the digital twin consortium conversation as a way of solving that particular problem or the, the integration problem in that space. And, and in the process of doing that, because the Little Twin Consortium is an open um, forum, right? everything has to be open, we, it kind of accelerated us putting the connection profile mechanism into open source. So we're still working through that, but that was kind of the decision of actually uh, taking the connection profile mechanism, putting it in the open source so that lots, um, you know anybody can ultimately use that mechanism to to do integration. Okay, cool. And it's and, it's and continuing it's, and it's continuing, and then there's sort of other interesting stuff that's going on to do with system interoperability, which is the focus right now in the DTC, and some other interesting stuff that's sort of a little bit sort of futuristic, such as um, thinking about things uh, like trust. Okay, so you're you're integrating or you're connecting to some device that gives you a number of 75, you know, it's degrees because you have haystack tags or whatever. But how do you how do you know it's actually coming from the sensor that you think mm. it's coming from? Right. And Interesting. What is the history of it? What is the provenance of it? Um, and why should you trust it to actually make a decision based on it? And those so kind it's of a bunch of people bunch of potential competitors, but also building owners, it sounds like developers coming together to sort of solve these sort of common problems to yeah. do with digital twins. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. In, in different disciplines, which is which is interesting. I, I'm, I'm trying to keep to my lane, as it were, uh, yeah. because you, you can get very easily distracted to go into aerospace and stuff like that, which is very interesting. But, you know, ultimately the issues are, are the same. So, right. Very cool. Yeah, I would have a hard time with that. Getting pulled into a rabbit hole. Curious, curious people have hard times with digital. But, but you, 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 can, you can be involved in those discussions and sort of listen enough and contribute enough to know that to to pick up the sort of commonalities, right? Yeah. And out of that, you can then say, okay, we can we can apply the same technology this differently, sort of way. So it's a it's a good way to expand the, the use cases. Okay, last bullet point, the Coalition for Smarter Buildings. Yes. So that really came out of Monday Live. So it was the beginning of this year after Biden got inaugurated. There was obviously, and there still is, a lot of discussion about what Biden's going to do with respect to climate policy and other sort of policies. And so Rick Justice, I know, I think you know him, and Pete Scanlon, they've been, they, they obviously work together. And they've been sort of contemplating creating some kind of coalition, right? So they approached us in, in, in Monday Live, and we had several discussions about it. And, and they, they were very focused on states and local governments and persuading them or influencing them. And we thought that was kind of interesting, but it, it wasn't sort of enough at the time, an, an interesting thing, but we couldn't see how it could get traction. So we talked about it and, you know, mulled upon it for a couple of months. And in May, I think it was May or, May or June, we got actually John Petsy got an email from Jessica Grandison, who formerly from Lawrence Berkeley National Labs. 
And she's, he, she has just taken um, a position at the White House at the CEQ, the Council for Environmental um, Quality. And she was reaching out basically to, to seek help, knowing that she, having spent a lot of time in, in LBNL, she obviously knows all of the GEB and all of the sort of DR related stuff. But she was basically saying to make this um, really impactful, we need some additional help. We need to sort of understand how to address policy issues and regulations that can actually enable smarts in the building. Yeah. Right. Cool. Um, and that was her ask. It was a pretty short ask. And we then sort of looked at this and brought it in again with discussion with Rick and Pete. And we decided, you know, this changes things a little bit. Right. Now we have the, the, the White House involved and, and, and other sort of place in D.C. So we stepped up and we put together a six page proposal document that basically laid out how we think all, all the sort of the big issues that need to be um, dealt with from a policy and regulation, including interoperability, analytics and some other stuff that we can go, go into. But and out of that, we then that sort of then became the, the starting point of the coalition. Interesting. Um, and, and that's what the coalition is. Uh, we've now had two face-to-face -face meetings um, in DC, one in August and one actually just last week, making a lot of progress, talking to a lot of sort of DC people. It seems that we've sort of captured the, the, the essence of a really, really interesting topic that a lot of people in DC needs to understand and need some expertise. In. And we've basically sort of been appointed by ourselves, I guess, as a, a group of people that can contribute to that. So that's that's the coalition for smarter buildings. I like that. We've been appointed by ourselves. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and I saw I also saw Kara Carmichael, who's been a guest in the podcast. She just took a job at the CEQ as well. Oh, okay. so they're putting together quite the team over there. She's from RMI, net zero expert. So very cool. All right. Well, that's, that's a lot to be involved in, Anto. Okay. All right, we'll cut it off there. That's enough context of what Anto's up to these days. So one of the things that you guys have developed through the Monday Live conversations is this smarter stack, smarter stack, not smart stack, smarter stack concept. How, how did this come about? And before you talk there, for those of you that are listening on audio, we're just going to talk through this, but this is best as a visual tool. It is a visual tool. So we're also going to put a little demo, a little screen share on the YouTube version of this podcast that we'll put in the show notes as well. So this will just be audio, but then we'll, we'll, we'll add the video back in. So how did this come about? So going back to the sort of the, the conversations we've been having for the um, year and a half in Monday Live, a lot of those discussions have been trying to rationalize all of the different technologies, the products, the companies, and the people involved and coming in and out of the, of the industry. Right? And it gets very, very confusing very, very fast. Right? Because people are coming up with all sorts of great innovation. And in a way, a lot of the Monday Live discussions is trying to organize that trying to organize it initially in our, in our sort of minds. So we had the notion of we had the notion of creating some kind of business stack quite early on in the middle of 2020s, but it, it didn't sort of hadn't sort of gelled. And so that's kind of just sort of worked its way through. That's one of the nice things about this kind of uh, conversation with the group. You can sort of pick things up again over and again and again. And so when when the coalition started to come together, 
this year, spring, early, early summer, we now had the coalition as a sort of a potential vehicle to channel some kind of messaging about how to structure something. So we thought, let's take another look at the, at the stack that we're working on. So we, we picked it up again and talked about it, made some changes. There's one of, one of the layers was not there in the original one. Uh, it's actually very, very important. It's actually the, the topmost layer. We didn't have the topmost layer. And the topmost layer is actually the most important layer. It's the layer that says purpose. You know, why are you doing something, right? Simon Sinek so, uh, talks about we all focus, uh, typically we all focus on the what all the time. He advises to think about the why you're doing something and how you're doing it. And then now talk about the what, right? So the, the top layer is kind of the why. And so we brought that into the conversation and we now have this stack, right? So the stack is eight layers. At the top is purpose. And then underneath that, uh, so purpose is kind of the, the building owner or uh, an occupant or a school teacher or a, you know somebody that actually has a purpose in terms of their relationship with the building. They need something out of it, right? So that's the top layer. The second layer, the layer below that is the operations layer. And, and these are the technologies and the people with regards to operating the building on a daily basis, right? So facility managers, um, energy managers, maintenance people, as well as janitorial and everything else. So that, that's all on the operation. And then underneath that is what we call the delivery layer. And this is kind of a, a new concept. And it's really about how the smarts are delivered to the operators and the purpose-driven people. And here we're talking about system integrators and people that actually work there and those kind of um, um, companies, but all, also delivery type technology. My company, Paddy, is a delivery type technology, so that's where it would go. But there are others. Mobile is essentially the same thing. And down the road, AR and, and VR are sort of delivery uh, technologies, right? So that's the delivery layer. Underneath the delivery layer, there's the apps layer. That's probably the one that we know the, the, the best. We understand that analytics and management tools and all the sort of stuff that um, people are developing. So that, that's pretty easy to think about. And underneath that, underneath the apps layer is um, the, the layer that we call exchange. And that's really um, the layer of middleware. That's the layer of using technology to translate data, to make data able to be used by different, different apps or different um, tools. So we call that the exchange layer. The connection profile technology that, that we created is, fits in there. And then underneath that is the data layer, which is really your independent data layer. That's what you talk about. So that is just the data layer of the smartest stack. But the way we think about it is not only does the data layer need to be independent, but so, so are the other layers need to be independent. The exchange needs to be independent from the data and the exchange needs to be independent from the apps and the apps is independent from um, each other. So each of the, each of the layers independent. Uh, and if they are independent, then you can get a composable sort of systems, mix and match type things that can address whatever the, whatever the building owner or occupants need, which is okay. right at the top of the purpose level. Right? So those are six layers. Go up. So purpose, operation, delivery, apps, exchange, data. And then at the bottom are the two layers of one is the systems, which are the systems, the HVAC system, the control systems. And then right at the bottom is the physical which is the actual building itself, the concrete and steel that actually makes a building. So that's the whole stack. And the way we use it is that we, we use it to, to explain things, right? So the same way that I was saying, Paddy is a, a, a delivery layer. 
something like SkySpark from John's company is a is an Apple layer. It's pretty easy what that is. And Novant, what Andrew, uh, Andy Frank is doing is a data layer thing, right? It's very easy to think about it that way. And mm-hmm. so you, you, you use that and you can also use this as a sort of to, to explain products, but you can use it also to build requirements, right? I need this. I need scheduling. I need critical emergency management if you're doing schools or whatever. And you can then build out that requirements all the way down to the bottom. Um, and then you can start to think about how the, the, the different pieces of the technology and products can, can uh, interact with each other to make the whole thing deliver the purpose that's desired. So it's, it's really a communications tool. Quite a, quite a few engineers sort of have problems with it because you compare it to something like the network layer where everything has very sort of a very specific place. And the smarter stack is really more of a communication tool. So you can actually have discussions about whether something, something like Haystack, for example, is that in the exchange layer or is that in the data layer? And there's actually different parts of Haystack. The Haystack Tagging is really in the in the exchange layer because it enables things to be exchanged. But data that is tagged is obviously so this kind of different perspective, and you can start to split those kind of functionalities. It's been very very powerful, and we're starting to build a, a library of um, uh, Smarter Stack because people are creating these. It's going to be uh, available on SmarterStack.org, which is actually hosted on uh, using Paddy to to actually show it all. But it, it's it's a really really interesting tool, and whenever I hear somebody trying to explain the technology, I try and sort of bring up the Smarter Stack and sort of imagine where they are. Yeah, um, because that would at least uh, clarify for me as a listener. So, yeah, very cool. I feel like so I watched I watched you the, your webinar with Memory, and I've watched a couple other of your demos. And what what I feel like is like underneath this is kind of a new way of developing a, a technology stack. You know, I know it's a business framework. I know it's a communication method. But one of the one of the slides you showed in the memory webinar was this approach versus a full the, the full stack approach of yesterday, where one provider would provide the entire thing up and down. Can you talk about like the difference in philosophy? And, and it seems like this yeah. is like the, the new the new way of doing things. Yeah. So if, if you if you think about traditional BAS offerings, I'm not going to mention any names because. It, it, it applies to all of all of the companies. Would typically have a control system, which is down on the system level, right, of the stack. They would have um, some kind of data management on their on their platform, so they're part of the data. The the data layer probably will have some kind of exchange mechanism, proprietary, or they may use a gateway to extract stuff. Um, from external. So that's the exchange layer. And they obviously have apps that actually is kind of, whether it's, you know, configuration apps or analytics apps, it's all part of that. And then they also have a, a delivery layer. The big companies have branches as delivery tool in terms of how, how all of that stuff gets delivered to the user. And they have delivery technologies such as supervisors, sort of vendor-specific supervisor. So that is what five levels of the stack. And you basically put a box around all of that five because that is a vertically integrated solution. And what that means is it works really well inside because it's all done by one, one company or maybe a very, very small ecosystem. But it's really, really hard to break out of it. And it's really, really hard to break into it. So when you want to integrate... 
um, uh, into such a system is typically hard because everything is inside everything inside the box has been configured to be proprietary and it just works the way it is. Right? Yeah. So that's a vertically integrated sort of solution set. And when the the sort of the alternative way, and I think this is the what you're talking about, the, the sort of the the paradigm that we're moving into is that each layer can be separate companies and separate technologies. Right, so you can have uh, systems that are just doing the controls, and then the data, the, the data layer, you call it an independent data layer. It's great, that is independent from the system, but it should also be independent to how it then gets used above it. So the exchange could be, the exchange could be different. It could be anything from a middleware thing like Niagara to you know Haystack and whatever. Right? So you can use whatever you want, and the applic- applications can then also be um, composable, be sort of pluggable into each other. And then again, separating out the, the, li- the delivery because things that be smart so del- needs to be delivered in different ways, depending on what they are, depending on what the building type is, depending on all sorts of different factors. So you can actually split all these layers apart. And then, you know, the, 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 the one of the comments that people often say is that doesn't the owner just want one person to supply it, right? Yes, they do. But the owner sits at the top of this layer. The owner typically works with the operator. He or she or they care about the operations and they care a little bit about the delivery. But the deeper you get in the stack, the less they care because they really care about the top stuff. So as long as it all works, as long as all the the, the layers work with each other and they're all independent, he still has, he or she still has one vendor, uh, one service provider, uh, maybe on a on a service basis as the delivery or as the operations layer. So we take something like JLL, they're more sort of in the operations layer. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, or a system integrator would be uh, would be on the on the delivery layer. Right. So you still have that mechanism of of the getting making sure that you you get what you need, but it's composable and it makes it much more flexible. Cool. Yeah, and and when I another thing that I gleaned from it when I when I watch you talk about it is the if these fully integrated companies were meeting the needs of the top layer, the why, there wouldn't really be a problem with that. But those needs, those why, that top layer, that's evolving and expanding. And like the people that are needing smarter stacks their needs are evolving and leveling up all the time. And it's getting more and more and more important. And those integrated stacks, like you said, you can't pull anything out. You can't pull it, put anything in. And it, it's just, it becomes a point where like you better meet the needs or else it's going to get disintegrated to something that can meet the needs. And so I feel like that's the underlying message. And I don't, I don't feel shy about pointing that out. <laughs> I guess. No, and it's, it's not, it's, it's not that they're, it's not in any way that they're bad companies or bad people, not no. at all. So it's no. kind of it, the, the industry has evolved into that being the, the the best way in the in the past two or three decades of delivering. And I think we're going into a new a new phase where there are different ways of, of uh, delivering it. And you know, I, I sincerely hope that the, the big companies will sort of figure out a way that they can add value to this new world where things are um, split up. Totally. Me too. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. 
If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Let's shift our focus to integration platforms. So that's obviously what you're developing now, right? With Patty, you've been thinking about integration for a long time. Let's talk generally first about sort of what's been missing from integration platforms. Why, why is integration so hard historically? I opened up this interview explaining that integration has been my, my life. But the, the more I do this, the more I realize that that's actually wrong. Because integration is an act of integration, the act of integrating things, right? So you are a system integrator, and what you do is you make systems work with each other. And those systems are inherently designed not to work with each other. So that's why you integrate. So that's why it's hard, because the, the systems that you're trying to integrate were not created to be integratable. So integration is actually the wrong word to use. Same way as smart is the wrong, uh, sorry, as smart is the wrong word to use. Now we're moving to smarter. Integration is the wrong word to use. The the better word to use or to aspire to is actually interoperability. We know how interoperability works. We know BACnet devices can just plug into each other and they interoperate. We don't think twice and things like USB and other things that in our lives interoperate really, really well. And with semantic tagging, haystack brick or semantic in other industries, you're able to interoperate within one domain typically, right? At the data level, okay? Great, so you have interoperability at the protocol level, uh, physical level, and then you have interoperability at the semantic level. What that does not exist is interoperability at the system level. The concept of that is I should be able to introduce a system into a building. Let's say there's a building, HVAC, lighting, blah, 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 inside the building. I should be able to introduce a, an IAQ or a people counting technology into that, into that uh, building, in, into the twin of that building. And it should, it should be able to say, ah, okay, I understand how to talk to that. I understand how to talk to that. And it should just work. Totally right. So I'm actually doing a podcast next month uh, with the DTC called uh, All About System Interoperability. So I think that's what we should be um, targeting. That's what we should be aiming at to make systems interoperate each, uh, with each other. The stack provides us actually an interesting way of doing that because each layer is typically a system, right? The, 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 data, the, the data or maybe multiple data sort of pools, those are all systems, but they all need to interoperate with each other and with the exchange layer and with the app. So they, they all just need to work with each other. And that's what I think. That's really the, the the main problem with integration is it's 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 the wrong word. It's the it's the wrong task. Totally, yeah. That that it should just work. Feeling I think a lot of people have that feeling. Can you describe what has to happen? Because say you're plugging in an IAQ sensor because it doesn't just work at this point. Mm-hmm. What has to happen? And we spend in my course, which I'm in the mindset of right now because we're in the last week of it, but we spend an entire week of a six week course talking about all the ways in which this process goes wrong. But can you describe like what has to happen in in the case of an IAQ sensor or the case of a new air handler controller being put in or whatever you want to talk about, what's the current process? 
Well, the, the, the current process is what I describe as endpoint thinking. Okay. If I'm, if I'm an IAQ system and I need to introduce it to a building, I know, I know, my, I know my system. I know, I'm an engineer of the IAQ system. I know what my capabilities are. I may have API and I'm being introduced to a building. I have to somehow figure out where I need to communicate with, right? It could be a metasys system or it could be a JSON or whatever. So I have to figure that out, right, manually. Um, then I have to figure out what protocol I need to use, what APIs I need to use, what keys I need to provide. There's a lot of metadata that is um, purely to do with communications. You know, I need to know where the, where the API endpoints are. I need to know what protocol they talk to. And it needs to know that I'm a legitimate user using keys and other stuff. Then there's um, a, lot of, a lot of interaction about uh, the context. I'm really only interested in IAQ in the lobby, for example. And so I need to tell it I'm really interested in the lobby, right? So it's, I think about it as endpoint thinking is because I can only do that from my end, from the IAQ end, right? You may be the HVAC um, system or contractor engineer. So you are looking at from your endpoint. I can provide Anto an API so Anto can you know, communicate to you, but it's all your perspective. So you're thinking about your endpoint. I'm thinking about endpoint. Everybody's doing the same thing, right? And the only way we can communicate is if we one-to-one, one-on-one agree which ones that is. Some standardization on semantics obviously helps a lot with that. So that, that is what makes it hard. And this um, is sort of a, a good segue if you're okay with that into what connection profiles are all about. Because, because connection profile turns that upside down, right? Because connection profile isn't a profile about an endpoint. It's not, it's not a profile about me, the IAQ, or you, the HVAC. It's a, it's a profile about a connection. A connection of, in this case, how I, and I, my, what, how an IAQ system talks to an HVAC system. So what you do with connection profiles, you take that use case, right, of which that I'm sure there's going to be thousands, if not millions, of instances that the projects that needs that right you take that um that use case of why an aq system needs to talk to an hvac and you codify that in a connection profile the connection profile basically says one end needs to provide these 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 pieces of information such as uri the endpoints keys the other end needs to provide um, other sets of information such as the context the security keys or whatever you codify that into a connection profile all connection profiles have names, have unique names, and are open and available on a directory in the in the cloud. Very similar to uh, domain names are all open. You know what CNN.com is. Doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's always going to get you to CNN.com. With a connection profile, the connection profile is given a name, right? So it may have the name of IAQ.HVAC. I'm just making that up. And you, you create that connection profile for that use case. And you do that once, right? And ideally, you would do it with people that understands the, the use case, understand IAQ and understand HVAC. You do that once, you, you, you put it in the directory in the sky. And whenever an IAQ system comes along and being introduced to the twin of the building, it basically says, ah, I, I understand IAQ.HVAC, which is the connection profile that's been defined. Does anybody else in this building understand that? Okay. And so the HVAC system, if it does, it says, yes, I, I can be the, your opposite end because it's uh, the, the two are uh, complementary ends. We call them client and server. So the HVAC system says, yeah, I understand IAQ.HVAC. So 
the, who who the HVAC system is is irrelevant, right? It's all it's all coded in the connection profile, and the connection profile then defines the what parameters is actually going to be used for the IIQ system to talk to the HVAC system automatically based on that profile. So it's, it's, uh, it, you basically, you create an instance of that profile, you copy it, it's like a model of the profile. Right. Right. So you can do that over and over again, and you can also have multiple connection profiles to do lots of different things. So the, this IAQ system could automatically connect to, the, connect to the HVAC, but it can also connect to the lighting system or connect to the access control system in for, for different use cases. So all of these things would just sort of instantiate themselves um, when you introduce the IIQ system into the into the building, they become interoperable. Very cool. So, does this require them to be on the same network? I bet that's a question that comes up <laughs> a lot. So, the, the the way connection profiles work is that the the connection profiles require a brokerage mechanism, and so Paddy, my platform is a broker, such a broker. That's what we actually built first. Other digital twins will, can also be brokers. Okay. Right? So it requires a broker. And when I say introducing IOQ into the, into, into the building or into the building's twin, what I'm saying is what you do with an IOQ system is I'm introducing it into that broker, into that system that understands all of the different systems that's in that building. Okay. Now, what's important to note is that that doesn't mean that all of the data goes through the broker. Okay. And this is a sort of a critical part of connection profiles is that I'm an AAQ, IAQ, I've established that you're an HVAC, that we can, we understand each other, we can talk with each other, right? So we, we can, we can exchange parameters in terms of how we talk, but really it could well be that the actual useful data flow or information flow will actually using some API, which can happen across the network, across the internet or whatever. Right? So we actually separate out the, the, the controls, the sort of communication controls from the data controls. And so we think about it as orchestration, right? Mm -hmm. So it's actually a layer, it's a metadata layer that sits on top of the, all the, the different systems. And the, the, the role of the orchestration is to uh, discover and connect all of these different systems together. Okay. So when I'm IAQ and I say, I'm in the lobby, I'm communicating that out, you know, I, this, the CO2 is 950 parts per million in the lobby. And then I'm the HVAC company and I'm saying, I have a zone in the lobby. Like, is it that? And then some sort of middle, system needs to say, well, your lobby and your lobby are the same lobby. How, do, how does that piece of it work? It starts getting geeky and complicated. It kind of depends on, on, the, on the, the structure. Really connection profiles is, think about it as the, the main place where it works is in the initial installation and discovery. I install the IAQ into the building, meaning into the, into the building's twin in, with a broker, it then says, ah, okay, we can connect to the HVAC. And then the, the Profile defines how that communication occurs. And so the connection profile isn't concerned with a particular piece of data that's going from yeah. IIQ to the HVAC. The, the connection profile is just managing the connection between the two and between other, other entities. So something like a global data model that connects those two pieces of context that would live elsewhere at this point? That would live. That would live in the the twin. I mean, I, I actually think that's what a digital twin is. It's kind of where, what the role of the twin is actually to understand 
all of these different systems and uh, know uh, when two or more systems need to connect with each other. So that's really what the twin is doing. Got it. And okay. one, of, one of the sort of interesting things about, you know, uh, about APIs, we were talking about APIs earlier, is that this enables APIs to be used, enables APIs to be discovered. And there's another critical thing about APIs that scares me a lot, is that the, the, the sort of the, the equivalent of the 404 problem with APIs, Okay. You have a building, right? There's you know 100 systems. There's lots of different APIs going back and forth, right? If something changes, there's actually nothing that sort of is monitoring to make sure that everything uh, still keeps on working, right? When a URI changes, if a server is, is uh, maintained or something and the, the URI gets changed, right? all of the clients of that API will break okay. because it no longer works, right? Or if the API key is changed, same thing will happen. Connection profile stays there in the building forever. So it's monitoring and orchestrating the, the connection in real life forever, right? So if something changes, it can actually distribute that change instantly. So everything's all up to date, right? So nothing nothing breaks, it's dynamic. That's, that's another key part of a connection profile and sort of the way to think about system interoperability is dynamic. We're, and this is um, going back to the little twin, this is where I find some of those sort of uh, use cases interesting. I'm working on use case of basically automated factories, right? Where you have sort of um, automated forklifts moving around, moving stuff. And they're obviously concerned that these are not driven by humans. So we don't want them to run over people. So we're using the connection profile mechanism to monitor all of that and monitor use cases like, okay, so... What if the forklift breaks and you rent one from the from Hertz or whatever the equivalent is? So that's going to come in. It has no knowledge of that factory. It has no knowledge of the owner. But if it had this sort of level of metadata about trustworthiness and other, other stuff at this sort of metadata connection profile level, then it can just um, hop in immediately the, the minute it drives into, into the um, uh, manufacturing floor and actually discover itself, self-discover itself. So it's all done. It's all designed to be dynamic. Okay, so am I thinking about this right, where the digital twin has the sort of metadata that's related to physical systems, how they interact, that type of thing, and then the connection profile has communications level metadata, and they, they need each other to continue to function? To me, um, the, the way I think about it, and I, I know people have different views on what digital twin is all about, I think I fundamentally think that if, the, if digital twins are fundamentally an integration challenge, then the most pressing problem is how to make things work with each other. And therefore, connection profiles, a collection of connection profiles is basically what a, a connection of connection profile between nodes that are virtual representation of physical things. That is really a, a digital twin. I love how I'm just like learning out loud here. So hopefully people find this helpful. I feel like I'm asking really basic questions. But the what would be an example? So we, we used IAQ and HVAC. So what can you, maybe this is even too long of a list to describe, but what would be in this packet information that is the connection profile? Uh, the, a connection profile is usually pretty brief. Okay. It's just a document. There's no code or anything. It's just a document that, that basically says the connection profile, um, uh, this name X, right, was created so that system A can talk to system B to do X. Right? Okay. System A could be a, a Q or something else, and system B could be something else. It doesn't really matter what they are. And X is a purpose, right? A purpose could be to provide 
indoor air quality data could be providing whatever, right? So okay. the, the connection profile has that sort of use case driven thing, con um, connecting one to another to do something. And the, the, the main part of connection profile is what does A need to provide and what does B need to provide? So if B is a server that is the APIs we're going to use, one of the most common things in a connection profile is that you need a URI of where that um, API lives. Okay. Right? okay. So that's, that's one that's one property of a connection profile. And so another property could be what protocol the server is speaking in, because it could be it could say you know I can I can do JSON if you want I can do XML I can do whatever. So that could be another property that the B system has to provide, and it could provide uh, some others. But you know those are kind of two critical ones. The other end A. Uh, is going to consume the API. So typically, you need an API key. So the API key is the, then a property that has to be stored in the client side. And another typical use is that um, you may need the context, right? So the context ID or some kind of naming con convention needs to be provided by the, the client, by A. So, so that's just two on each side, the API key and the context on the client side and a, the API endpoint and the protocol on the server side, right? You have, you have those two on both sides. When, when it gets instantiated to a particular building, the, the URI is then known because we know what, where the endpoint is. The protocol is known because somebody would have configured it. And on the client, somebody would, con, would have configured the API key and the look uh, and the and the context and so the, the connection profile then has all of the information it needs in this case just four very cool there's kind of an interesting use case that i that i've used to, to to think about connection profiles that maybe we can spend a couple of minutes on is that human to human contacts you have a contact database on your laptop or whatever computer and it mm. it's a database that you maintain that you keep track of and it has my name in it somewhere in it because you've emailed me i know you have my name in your contact right? i have the same i have a, a contact database and i have your name i have james dice in, in my contact so that is endpoint thinking i have no idea at any given time whether the email I, address i have or the, the the street address which i know is now wrong because i've not that I know what it is. I have no idea of what that is because it's on your side and I have no access to it. A connection profile view of it is that you don't have a contact database and I have a contact database. What we do is we have a connection profile that defines the relationship between James Dice and Anto, right? Okay. In there would be the information I need. So if you change something, it will be reflected on my view instantly and everybody else's view. Okay. So that's kind of one way of thinking about uh, connection profiles in more sort of human terms. So, so I would still need to say, hey, I just moved and my new address is, yep. and I would communicate that to the broker. Yes, you do that in, in whatever this fic fictional tool is and that tells the broker and the broker will then tell everybody else that you have that relationship with. Yeah. The relationship is based on the connection profiles and the broker know, knows all of the different instances of that connection. I feel like this speaks, so you talked about integration in the past being like this endpoint thinking kind of manual process, like get two engineers from each side in the room and they create a project plan and go through all this stuff. But you didn't talk about what happens two, three years later when somebody changes something <laughs> down the line. So then it's just this constant mess. And as we add more connected devices and more connected devices, it's a big spaghetti mess. So I feel like this speaks to the 
resilience and reliability and maintainability and really just like making digital twins even viable from a solution standpoint. Yeah, that, that was part of my comment on the, the dynamics part of it. But that's that's a, a great a great point that actually uh, maintains the system uh, as opposed to sort of a spaghetti or virtual spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. uh, cool. So so essentially what we could have in the future is that everything is actually plug and play. People people yep. say plug and play and throw that around, that word around, like it's something that's happening all the time these days, but what that could basically enable it essentially. Yep. And, you know, I, I recall back to a, a debate, I think you and John Petsy were having about the iPhone, mm-hmm. right? how to make it as easy as the iPhone. This kind of mechanism, I believe would get us there. You know, it should be if, if it's implemented uh, widely. And that, that's the vision, obviously, and the, the call to action is to uh, invite people to be part of this, is that everything will then understand how it can work with other things the same way that your, you know, your Facebook app understands how to work with another app that, on your phone. I don't remember where John and I ended up with that debate, but it's been a while since we picked up. Maybe we'll have to pick it up at, at IBCon here next oh. week. Well, this will, this episode will actually come out a couple of days after, but I'll, I'll be bringing that iPhone thing up with John. So where do you see this effort, like the open source connection profile effort, where do you see this in sort of in context with things like Haystack, now that we're talking about John, and other sort of standards and efforts that solve part of the interoperability puzzle, but not all of it. Obviously, they're not solving what we're talking about here. So do you, is, is all of this going to converge into one thing in the future? Or what do you what do you think is going to happen? So I'm going to pull in the smartest act to, to talk about that. Okay. Right? Because again, um, we have this exchange layer on the stack, which is where really where all this resides. Right? So so tagging from a haystack and break, well, break is not just tagging, but that that all exists in the exchange layer and they both can coexist. There's nothing wrong with that. And the, the, data, the, the data that's tagged is all in the d- data layer, right? So it's kind of separate, right? The connection profile mechanism is an exchange layer thing, technology, right? But it's not concerning itself with tagging data. It's really the way to think about it, it's actually tagging systems. Yeah. You're tagging the IIQ, tagging the, the, the way it tags is different. It's not tagging the, the piece of the, the, the system. It's actually tagging its capabilities of talking to something else. Yeah. So, and so connection profile, which has a fancy name, it's actually called CNS CP, connectivity naming um, system connection profiles that sits in the exchange layer same does any sort of semantic model does and so the, the way i in, uh, see it working is that an app would say you know what's available for me using this this or these profiles and it will discover it and then once those discovery once those connections are established it will then exchange data using semantic tagging yeah uh, uh, if it fits if, if it applies or in, in other cases, it may be completely proprietary because there's, not, there's no reason why connection profiles can't be created to connect proprietary systems together, which is an intriguing kind of concept. Yeah, yeah. So you think these will, so the connection profiles, open source effort, you yeah. think will be separate from Haystack, which will be separate from other things in the future, okay. Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out where it best be placed 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I started life in in the Digital Twin Consortium, which has been great from a from an application perspective, from application discussion and use cases. That's really great, but it really needs to morph into real sort of open source code sort of contributors. So we're seriously looking at um, Oasis as well as the Linux Foundation as being the, the home for this. It's okay. it has a sort of an intriguing similarities to Kubernetes. Uh, okay. I, how well you know Kubernetes, but Kubernetes orchestrates VMs and VM sort of components, right? So that's what Kubernetes does. Connection Profile orchestrates integration in much the same way. It's kind of a layer that sits on top of um, on top of the the actual work itself. Cool. Yeah, I believe Kubernetes come, has come up on the podcast a couple of times. Cool. All right. So where does Patty sit in relation to Connection Profile? So I think we we talked about it a couple of times, but Patty, the company separate than connection profiles, the standard difference. So Paddy is Paddy is cloud-based aggregator of user interface. So if you if you if you think of the uh, the the old sort of integration problem or the integration products and all of the ones that um, I've been involved with before and others, there's always two parts of it. There's how do you integrate the UI? In other words, how do you integrate these different systems so a human being can consume it in a sort of uh, organized way and then how do you integrate or connect all the different systems together there's always been the two things right so the connection profile is the latter it's how the systems connect with each other so paddy implements connection profiles as part of what it does the the other part of paddy is the ui aggregation and the ui aggregation in, in paddy is also different and very unique because we we decided on the approach that we want to integ- we want to do integration in the age of the internet so the way we're integrating the ui on the on the on the paddy side is we're integrating basically html uis right so if you have a system that provides html ui of some sort dashboards or management tool or whatever that can plug into paddy okay directly and you can organize it there's lots of ways you can actually organize it and you know make make one uh, ui next to the next uh, next to the other ui that normally wouldn't connect together but because they are both in the lobby you actually need both of them so you do that and so all of these are we think about them as apps so um, each system is an app so with with paddy what you do is you install apps and you you install apps at a particular context. So for example, in a building, you'd create a, a tree or ultimately you'd be able to um, pull in a BIM database that will actually create the hierarchy of the building, buildings, yeah. floors, rooms, whatever. And then you would put an app pertaining to the AAQ system in the lobby. And then you, the, the way you do that is you would install the IAQ app on the lobby object in Paddy. And then it would know where it is, right? So that IAQ app will then know that it's in the lobby. So that when you then install another app next to it or underneath it or somewhere, and you're installing HVAC app or a dashboard app, it will be able to communicate to the IAQ app using connection profiles. And Paddy manages all of that. So all of these different apps in the sort of complex hierarchy of a building can talk to each other using connection profiles. And that's, uh, I go back to the, 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 the words that I use, you introduce an IAQ into the lobby, right? It will then say, I'm here, I'm in the lobby. Is there something, is there an HVAC system that can provide me a certain amount of data? And it will do that. And the Paddy will uh, uh, discover that the two should connect. It will actually connect them. It will actually instantiate the connection profile instance, exchange all of the data, all of that 
in a plug and play manner. And then the user then has a single sign on single. Yeah, that's what uh, I was going to say. Can consume all of that information, maintain dynamic and everything that we talked about. So there's the ability to log in to pretty much anything that has an HTML interface in the building, yeah. outside of the building. Yeah, so, and I'm sure a lot of uh, engineers out there are sort of saying, asking how do you deal with security and credentialing and things like that. We've created a, an app framework that is very flexible in, in terms of being able to accommodate different types of credentialing sort of requirements of different apps. Okay. Uh, different so that's kind of how we do all that. And, and all of these apps end up in the Paddy store, which okay. is it's not an app store because I'm not allowed to use those words. <laughs> I can see you hesitating. For those of you that don't see the video right now, Anto was about to say app store and he hesitated for like five seconds there. <laughs> uh, okay. It's a store. It's a Paddy store. It's actually what it is. And and so in the Paddy store, you can buy apps. I can say that. But you, you, you can also buy data. If you think about that, right? So if there's a if there's some data in, in the data layer that may um, be there because somebody's invested a lot of money to gather the data or for whatever reason, and they actually want to monetize that, we can actually use the, 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 the Paddy store and the sort of the app mechanism to pay for data using connection profiles. Very cool. I mean, what's striking me is that now, now we're talking about is like the Patty's the digital twin aspect of what you talk about. So it's not just the broker, it's also the metadata as well and the UI. Yes. No data, no apps. No data, no apps. Okay. No fundamental systems. We don't do any of that. And, and that's sort of one of the interesting things about the smarter stack is that quite often I show the smarter stack to somebody and, and ask them, you know, what does your product look like? What does your offering look like? And the first thing they do is they draw a vertical box. Yeah. And say, I do this, I do this, I do this. I do everything, keep the customer happy. I, I think that's a, an old mindset. Yeah. Uh, and so from my perspective, um, Paddy is at the delivery layer because we deliver all of that to the users. The, the Paddy store is obviously on the app layer, right? And the connection profiles on the exchange layer. That's it. We have nothing on the data layer or anything below. And that's for other people to, to, to bring their um, innovation. Very cool. Well, people can check out the YouTube video for, I'm sure we'll have a slide on where Paddy and and everything else fits. Anything we left out on, on Patty? I feel like there's a lot more that maybe we could dive into on a part two, but for time, we should should wrap this one up. No, I think that's a that's a good place to stop. All of this, and we've been working for uh, on Patty for about three years, so the UI part of it is is pretty solid. The the smarterstack.org, which actually is a library of smarterstack, actually uses Patty. So when you go there, uh, it allows you to log into Patty, and you see um, all of the libraries. So that, that part is um, is there. The connection profile part is, is relatively new as I was explaining the sort of the history of that. So we're, we're working through that, but it is it is functionally there in, in Paddy as well. So that's where we are. We're um, in the process of going to market with this. Cool. Well, I'm sure you'll get people reaching out as a result of this. It seems to be the, the effect after the podcast. So, all right. Well, this has been fun, Anto. I'm glad we, we finally got, got this on the calendar and got it done. Thanks so much. All right, friends. 
thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.